Hey there, you've wandered on to the VUC, a weekly conference produced by IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com. You can get a URL that people can click to call you at OnSip.com slash GetOnSip. Speaking of SIP, we use the best PSTN and SIP conference bridge in the world, ZipDX.com. Our website at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. And thanks to Voxbone for our world local rate dial-ins. Guess what? While we were uh, while I was listening to that brilliant introduction, thank you, Michael, for the pre-roll. Uh, Google Hangouts uh, brought up a pop-up saying that such and such is no longer available. They keep doing that. It's about the third time I've seen it today. Hey, you're looking at our friends at Camellia World, May eighth in Berlin, and just about everybody who is going to be on this conference today is going to be there. This is VUC six hundred and forty for whatever the day is, uh, April seventh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sure, that's it, April seventh. Yeah, twenty. Uh, 17. And we're going to be talking about how these magicians from Miteco are able to do what they do, which is the remote participation aspect of IETF. The world is in admiration in front of it. Popular demand has asked for these folks to come back. Now, we know them well, so they, while they need no introduction, I think we're going to ask Lorenzo to still say a few words about Miteco and introduce Simon, maybe, and uh, tell us a little bit about a couple minutes on the project, just to remind people in case they didn't see our earlier stuff. Okay, hi, everybody. so it's really nice to be here again. So it, it's been uh, a year, I think, since last time we were here. So it's really nice to see all these friendly faces again and chat, chat about the, the cool things that we are doing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm Lorenzo Miniero. I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of, uh, of Miteco together with Simon and a couple of other people who are here in the same room with me. And we have been working on real-time multimedia applications for, for a really long time, 10 years, 10 years now. And Today I'm going I'm going to explain a bit how we've actually uh, managed to 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 improve the remote participation services uh, at the ITF uh, using an incremental process that I'll describe that I'll describe later on. And we are based in Napoli, which is in south uh, in South Italy, by the way. And I'm not sure how much um, what else you you may be interested in knowing about Miteco. If not, uh, we've we're well, of course the company behind uh, an open source WebRTC server that is called Janus that some people may know about and. That that I'll explain later, Janus is actually the foundation for, for several of the things that we are doing here at the ITF. So maybe this will also make you curious about Janus itself so that you can play it with it a bit yourself. And yeah, as Randy said, I'll also be in Berlin for Kamaidia World. So in case we have not met, just pop by and say hello. Okay, so the big question on everyone's lips, if not in their minds, has to do with the ITF thing. And you need to explain, go back and explain a little bit about the context um, of you know how this even started and how long you've been doing it. Can you do that? Yeah, no, no of course. I can, I, if you want, I can also already start the slides and so on, because we do have some slides that try and explain also a bit the context. So in principle, uh, a few words about what the ITF is. So so I will not, of course, go very much in detail about how the ITF in general works, but I'll try and at least give some context to make it clear. Ruh, ruh. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was just about to, I was, I was looking for the Janus URL to post. He'll be back. Wow. We seem to ruh. have some problems in our trunking oh. into Italy. Hey, my browser is broken again. <laughs> All right. Uh, can anybody else give a little background while we're waiting for uh, uh, Simon? Simon's here. Well, did you lose me again? Oh, okay, hey, there we go. All right, go ahead. I don't know what's happening. I started losing you all again. So uh, let me just load the slides real quick. 
Can you see the slides? Yes. Okay, perfect. Looking looking very smart. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, yeah, this is just a funny slide to... I mean, I've been here before, so you may remember me from some past, uh, some past book. And today I will basically explain how we go from this, which is basically uh, how you, you take a bunch of different uh, equipment that you that we ship, uh, that we have shipped uh, at, at each venue for every time up to basically something like this. That is a remote participation service that we actually work together on uh, with other volunteers and, and a company that provides the actual uh, network infrastructure every every meeting at the ITF. So the idea, as I was saying, was to first start and describe a bit what the ITF is. And so not really in much detail, but just to give you enough context to understand how this, uh, this impacts the way that you actually have to provide remote participation at the ITF. So, of course, if you do not know about the ITF, it's the standardization body that basically standardizes. Uh-oh. It's, it's going to be one of those days. We may that? need to have Simon, but I, Simon's not there, but he his signal seems to be working. <laughs> They're ordering dinner. I was in a... <laughs> I was in a hotel in Italy. <laughs> Live. Thank you. Simon, you may have to... Mi è caduta la rete, ma già stavo in culo. Un hangout per parlare di noi. Una cosa delle cose che faccio con i ragazzi. You may have... To, yes, you may have to take over, Simon, because Lorenzo keeps dropping out. Yeah, otherwise, sorry. Otherwise, sorry. I'm going to tell the story about when I was in Italy and no, uh, that, that, ordering that. food on this phone. Oh. He's back, he's back. Lorenzo is back. Yeah, Chrome seems to hate you know, I was struggling with here, and in the end I got it right, but I did not realize that, so sorry about the disruption. I keep silent, promise. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm back again. I, now I got the OSNAP window from Chrome, so I don't know what went wrong, so let me try to share my screen again. Uh, where did you lose me, by the way? So I was just getting started, so yeah, I was you pretty much at the beginning of that slide. Yeah, so um, I was just saying that the, the ITF is basically where all the standard protocols come from. So in terms of, of course, what we use uh, every day, it's uh, all the real-time protocols like SIP, SDP, uh, the, the protocols used by WebRTC themselves, uh, HTTP and so on, all came from, from these standardization efforts. And there are several different working groups that operate within the within the ITF, each one belonging to different uh, areas. So that the ITF actually works on different areas, like for routing, for security, for application in real time, of course. And within the context of all these macro areas, we have different working groups that are focused on, on actually uh, working on specific uh, specific uh, use cases and scenarios or things like this. And, and what is important with respect to this presentation is that um, the ITF, while the ITF activities mostly take place on mailing lists, so in each working group, Group, there are meeting lists associated to that through which you can actually cooperate so that uh, you actually uh, have discussions there, improve documents along the way this way. Uh, the ITF also meets three times a year all over the world uh, in person so that people can actually discuss all the evolvements of, 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 of a new draft in person, try to, to discuss what may be the next steps and things like this. And typically, uh, it, it all happens once in America, once in Europe and once in Asia, even though this is not, let's say, a strict uh, a strict rule, but it is something like this. And on average, there are typically about uh, more than 1,000 uh, local participants at the venue. And, and and this is basically where most of the working groups meet and discuss the, the latest stuff. And if you want to know more about the ITF in general, there are some good tutorials out there. And, and this link that you can see there is a recording that we made of the Newcomers Tutorial by Scott Brother. The Newcomers Tutorial is a tutorial that uh, the ITF always has on, on Sundays when you go at the ITF, so that newcomers can actually actually get a better understanding of how the ITF works in general. And, and, and about the remote participation, up until a few years ago, uh, this was, let's say, a bit um, 
simplified, meaning that you could still participate remotely to, to attend working group sessions, but this was a bit more on the awkward side because you did have and you still have a Jabba room that you could use in order to interact with other participants, pretty much as we have right now with the RSC room associated with the, with the book session. But then uh, you, the only way that you had to actually listen or, or get what was happening in the room was basically opening an MP3 stream, an HTTP MP3 stream to listen to a live feed from the room. And then if you wanted to see the slides being displayed on the in the room and being discussed you actually had to download the slides yourselves from the data tracker from so from the ITF repository basically the presenters would send their slides to the chair the chair would publish these slides on the data tracker and then using the job room somebody would tell you okay now we are on, on these slides uh, XYZ then download them have a look at those I'll tell you which slide we are on and so on so that you can keep track of whatever is that so this kind of worked but uh, it was also let's say a bit problematic because you had to do a lot of things uh, manually and then there were, you needed somebody in the room to actually act as a proxy for you so that you could tell you that right now we are on slide one, we are on slide two and so on so that you could actually move on the slides in your own uh, PDF viewer for instance. And then of course uh, the MP3 team had several seconds of delay so that if you wanted to make a question to the job room you possibly uh, were too late to actually contribute to the discussion in a meaningful way. And while there were some experiments with real-time applications like the Mbone framework, there were really cool and they happened some some years ago but they really never followed, followed up after some initial experiments so uh, the, the steps that I mentioned before were actually up to a few years ago the de facto standard to actually remote participate at the ITF and this is something that we wanted to try and, and solve because we wanted to, to make it simpler for people to actually interact and participate in a meeting which is why we eventually tried to, to use Mitech or the platform that we were working on at the time to actually implement remote participation at the ITF and the idea was to have a simple web interface that included all the above. So something that would include the slides, an audio and video feed, the Jabber room and something like this so that you could just open a web page and then receive everything and contribute and interact in a, in a simpler way than using than doing all that in a manual way, basically. And this all started at the ITF-80 in Prague as, a, as an experiment that we brought there ourselves. So we didn't anticipate it. We just went there trying to, to see if it, if it could work, actually. And the idea was basically that we, we would download all the slides ourselves from the data tracker. We would pre-convert them to a series of images, and then we would go from room to room so in the rooms that we were interested on, interested in, and then we would basically trigger the slide changes ourselves. This would be then intercepted by the uh, by the web pages, so that the slides would change automatically, so that you didn't do didn't need to do anything uh, by yourself. We had a Java RTP applet that would implement an audio video reception of the feeds from the room, uh, and basically this was let's say a, a, a Java based precursor of WebRTC, if you want, because this was actually a web page that was displaying a simple uh, audio and video feed from. The room itself and and then after a couple of sessions that we that we implemented by just capturing the audio using our own laptop uh, microphone and so on and the laptop camera and things like that like things like this the ITF management team was interested in this experiment and so helped us actually hooking to the mixer in order to get some better audio and things like this and I'll get back to this in a, in a couple of slides where I'll describe how the setup all works but this greatly helped, uh, helped us uh, let's say making it work in a, in a more meaningful way especially audio wise and at the time the experiment only covered a few working group in the real time and application infrastructure area mostly because that were, that were the 
the working groups that we were following ourselves. So we were basically in these in the rooms following the sessions and the sessions that we were following we would also stream so that we would say on the Jabber room to the, to the people in the room, okay, if you want to participate in this experiment, just join this link and you'll see the, the session in real time and so on. And finally, one of the sessions that we that we supported was also actually the RTC Web Buff, which is actually the, the session where RTC Web was actually born in the ITF, which was kind of cool. And we got a lot of feedback in that, uh, in that session, which was, of course, both positive and negative, but it was mostly uh, positive, which made us uh, really happy. And among the things that, uh, that people were mostly happy about was the fact that the audio, uh, although it was a lower quality because it was only 8 kilohertz at the time, it was uh, much more real-time than the MP3 stream, which allowed people to actually see things in uh, more real-time. And some people were confused by the presence of cameras, especially on the local venue, because uh, it, it almost never happened that you actually had cameras capturing the event at the ITF, which was something that actually confused people a bit in the beginning. The integrated slides also allowed scribes to relax quite a bit because they didn't have to type slide one, slide two, slide three all the time. People could just see the slides, slides changing in real time, which was much more relaxing for them. And at the time, we had uh, we, we were recording all of those sessions, but we had a Java application to play them back, which was something that people were not, more, were not really comfortable with because they had to download an application from a company they didn't really know, they possibly didn't trust, and so on. So actually, during that week, we implemented a, a simple HTML5 web app, web app to actually replay all of those records. And part of this code still exists, and I'll actually come back to this also towards the end of the presentation when I'll talk about the recordings and how we landed them. Uh, but this, this was basically how uh, it all started. And at the time, uh, it pretty much looked like this. So a really, really, really simple interface, as you can see. You had the video that was stuck in the upper right side of the, the screen. You had, uh, you had the, the integrated Jabber room that looked really, really ugly, if I look at it right now. And then you had the slides as basically a series of images that we would change dynamically based, based on some triggers, live HTTP uh, and long pulse mechanisms and things like this. And for, for a little while, this worked, kind, this worked uh, pretty fine. We also upgraded the, the user interface a bit to make it look, look cleaner and nicer and things like this. Uh, and here you can see also that we, for instance, we, we switched to a floating window for video, we slowly integrated WebRTC into this and so on. So without bothering you too much about all of this history and details, this is basically a very quick overview of how the uh, this remote participation then evolved from uh, from those that very first experiment. And so from meeting to meeting from that uh, <coughs> from that meeting in Prague uh, that was about, I think, uh, four or five years ago now. From meeting after meeting, we actually uh, worked on improving all of those things. So we improved the user interface. We started covering more and more sessions from the initial seven and eight. Uh, just a second, please. And then uh, um, the, the most interesting aspects, of course, were related to how uh, we we were uh, we were also slowly integrating the new WebRTC effort into this. Because as I said, uh, the first time that we that we handled this experiment, WebRTC didn't exist yet, even, the, even though it was uh, it was starting to uh, to to grow basically. And so as WebRTC was starting to evolve, we also tried uh, started playing with it ourselves. And so we also used this ITF experiment as a playground for our WebRTC experiments ourselves. And so you can see, for instance, how in Atlanta we started to play with the Opus support, at first only for the HTML5-based streaming, but then we integrated it in our own audio backend. Because as I'll explain later, we use Asterisk for the audio backend uh, to actually do the audio part for the for this service, which means that as soon as we added 
providing support to us to Opus to Asterisk with our own uh, our own patch. We could also actually provide support for Opus-based uh, WebRTC streaming in our own platform as well. Then we also started playing a bit with with video at first using the uh, a mixer-based approach. So we had a simple we had a simple video mixer implemented in our own infrastructure that would basically compose all the streams and send them back via SIP. But then we started migrating to an SFU-based approach at the beginning with with the with live code and then uh, slowly meeting after meeting uh, we we started implementing our own stuff up until in Honolulu and you can see it in bold for for several reasons we started implementing we started using Janus for the first time for our own services and then for the first time we also covered all of the sessions at the same time which is kind which was kind of a big deal for us at the time because uh, something that I probably failed to mention when I discussed the uh, what the IT what the what the remote participation means at the ITF there are typically about 140 or 150 sessions each week at the ITF. There are eight tracks in parallel and there are at least four or five slots during the day, which means that there are really a lot of sessions that you have to cover at the same time. And so, of course, we couldn't co- we couldn't cover them all by just being there in all the rooms and triggering the slides ourselves. We had we had to, let's say, up the game a bit for this. And so we worked a lot in order to automate a, a lot of the things. And so this is something that we managed to do for the first time in Honolulu. And ever since we actually covered all of the sessions at the same time, some tutorial, tutorials and so on, while still trying to improve the remote participation as a consequence. And these are just a couple of uh, images and diagrams that show uh, how this, this increase on the, on the sessions that we covered grew time after time. So you can see a, a really small number at the very beginning that tried to slowly increase by time to time up until uh, the, the meeting in London, we were covering half of the session. In Toronto, we were covering six, session, uh, six tracks out of eight. And then in Honolulu, we covered all of the sessions at the same time. And this also had an impact, of course, on the remote presentations as well, because uh, so far I've only mentioned remote participation in general, which typically means just remotely attending a meeting. So getting the feeds from the room and being able possibly to interact on each other room. But an important aspect is also actually the ability to present uh, remotely yourself or to make questions yourself from from home instead of being there. And the number of remote presentations also grew uh, meeting after meeting. So at the beginning, we didn't have any. We had a couple in Taipei. But then, uh, as you can see, we had a really large number of, of remote presentation in Honolulu. And this is not only because uh, there were, uh, let's say, uh, Honolulu was harder to reach for some people, but also uh, because we were actually first of, uh, covering for the first time all of the sessions, which meant that there were more chances of people that could not make it that actually wanted to make remote presentation. And actually, the number of remote presentations that we have for each meeting right now is about in the range of four, 40 or 50 remote presentations uh, per week, which is uh, kind of nice. And it's all uh, it's all handled handled in a pretty much automated way right now, which means that uh, we are not we are much less, much less worried about remote presentations than we were in the past, where something might go wrong and we had we had to take care of it uh, somehow. And so to actually come to the to the to the juice of the presentation, uh, this is uh, I'm going to explain a bit how we are actually doing all of this at each meeting. And so unsurprisingly enough, we are using Janus as I explained uh, for for all the WebRTC related aspects of the of this service and if you want to know something more about Janus uh, we talk about it in a couple of books in the past so there are there are recordings for this uh, in, uh, in in the list and so um, there are of course uh, two different media that we have to cover every time that we want to stream a WebRTC meeting and so uh, it's of course audio uh, audio and video where where video will actually be separated into separate components because we want to take care of both slides and 
send video coming from either local participants or remote participants. And for the audio part, this is uh, something, uh, this is the way that you actually handle this. So as I was saying before, the, our audio backend is, is asterisk, and par in particular the ConfBridge application, which means that all the audio is actually mixed and all the participants have a single audio connection towards, uh, towards the audio mixer for each working group session. And in order to access that, uh, that asterisk ConfBridge application, we use the Janus SIF plugin for the purpose. So basically the idea is that there is a conference bridge associated with each working group. All the attendees join the bridge via Janus, via the Janus plugin. All the streams are opus encoded because we use our own patch. And so in order to make sure that all the participants are able to listen to whatever is happening in the room, we need to make sure that we are actually able to, to get the audio from the, from the venue. And in order to do that, we basically attach a streaming laptop to the, to the mixer board that is present in, in the venue because uh, all the meeting rooms have a mixer board that is responsible for the audio management in the room in order to get all the microphones in the room to, to make sure that everything is, is uh, replayed in the speakers in the room as well. So that we, basically we have a streaming laptop that acts as an additional participant in the room. It gets the, the input from the mixer, so it includes all the microphones of the room and things like this. And everything that comes from, from the remote room, so everything that remote participants say is, is added to the mixer board as, a, as an additional output instead, which means that then everything that, that people say is then played loud in the speakers in the local bay. And, and of course, the streaming laptop acts just as a regular participant, so it just connects to, to, the, to the infrastructure using Janus plugin as well, so that it's actually quite easy then to, uh, to make them interact, to make local and remote participants interact with each other. And just to show you this in a more visual way, you can see this picture that uh, Dr. Alex made uh, in Chicago at the last meeting. We actually met there. You can see uh, I was chatting with Emil there just about the, uh, the setup for, for one of the rooms. And you can see here one of the, the, the mixer boards in the room and our streaming laptop that is sitting on a chair over there. And you'll see, you might see that there are some cables connecting this laptop over there. And this laptop is actually just responsible of getting the audio from the board and sending audio to the mixer board as well so that people can actually interact uh, with each other in a seamless way. For video instead, as I was mentioning, there are two different ways, two different things that we need to do. And so uh, more in particular, there, are, there is a distinction to make between uh, local and remote participants. And for the, for the local streams, uh, we typically use some uh, a more static approach. And basically, the idea is that for video, uh, for, for capturing whatever is happening in the, in the venue, we basically deploy uh, a, remote, a remotely controllable camera that we bring ourselves on a tripod so that uh, it's high enough. And, and we attach it via USB to a streaming laptop. And this streaming laptop then streams uh, via just any any streaming application like FFmpeg or GStreamer or something like this. It streams plain RTP towards the, the, the streaming plugin of Janus. Then Janus actually, using the streaming plugin, turns this into a WebRTC broadcast that then people can subscribe to, which means that it's basically like an always-on uh, stream that people can subscribe to, which means that any time that you join in the room, you'll always see uh, the camera streaming whatever is happening in the room. So uh, typically, cons considering that it is a remotely controllable camera, this means that we can, let's say, uh, point to the chairs. If somebody's speaking, we follow him. If there are questions from the mid client, we can move the, the, the webcam to point to them instead, which, is, which, uh, which implements uh, a cool effect, basically. For the slides, instead,
that we basically ask for the for the for the team responsible for the AV in the in the room to basically provide us with a splitted signal of the projector feed. So basically anything that is projected on the beamer, so uh, on the projector, so anything that the the chair's laptop is displaying right now is splitted, and this signal is injected in a capture card that is attached to the same streaming laptop that is responsible for the for the camera feed. And this in turn is also turned into a video feed, pretty much as the camera feed is, uh, which then means that we have two different static streams per working group session that you can subscribe to, which means that anybody that joins the room basically watches exactly the same thing that people in the local venue are watching because we basically duplicate everything that is being sent to the to the projector. We get... Oh dear. And I was rocking to that. I got to tell you, that is exactly what I want to know. Oh, I am again, sorry. <laughs> that was the quickest reboot. Yeah, but because it, it just dies and I'm able to join right away. So I'm not sure what is happening. It's awesome. Carry on, though. I'm following along and, and, yeah, and we're enjoying, really enjoying this. Okay, cool. Uh, did, uh, did you get the did you get the the projector feed stuff or the, did I die before that? I think we got the projector feed stuff. You were saying that it's an RTP stream from uh, the computer uh, and and you take a tap off the projector so that you have that as well. Yes, exactly. So we basically get that get this as a video feed thanks to a capture card so that we can just send it as a video feed towards the, the streaming plugin so that we can handle it exactly as we handle the the web uh, the camera feed. And this is a picture of the camera that we're actually using it's a logitech something i'm not exactly sure of the the model because uh, i'm i always forget about those but this is a nice remotely controllable camera uh, that you can um, do, do you see the slides by the way because i'm not sure yes yes okay. we're seeing slides and that i actually have one of those cameras or its brethren uh, logitech <laughs> calls it the ptz pro if it's just the camera itself yeah um, then i'll yeah, withhold my questions until later though okay yeah this is a um, uh, we chose this camera because it's a uh, nice uh, remotely controllable camera. It has a proprietary API to do that, but then we re reverse engineered the, the protocol a bit so that we can actually we implemented our own wrappers so that we can control it from a web page and things like this. And I'll also say some more things about this in a, in a later slide. Excellent. For the remote speakers, instead, we have a different kind of approach. And uh, in particular, remote participants, of course, are not static streams as the local webcam and the capture card. But for this, we use the Janus Video Room plugin to allow them to inject video whenever they allowed to. And so for this, the Janus Video Room plugin is basically an SFU. So uh, every time a remote participant publishes their own video, it becomes a video that other participants can subscribe to, which means that they can basically interact with each other. So pretty much as we are doing right now in Hangout. And in order to make their presence uh, available to, to, to the local venue as well, we also uh, always deploy a second screen in the camera. So in each uh, ITF meeting room, you'll see a big screen that is uh, devoted to the slides being projected, and you'll see a smaller second screen that is instead just used to, to both display a virtual queue, and I'll explain in a minute what it is, and whenever a remote participant is speaking, so either to present or make questions, uh, their, their remote video is displayed on this second screen as well. And the way that we do it uh, is pretty much simple you'll see that there is an additional laptop in the room in the in the diagram below this is uh, feeding uh, this is basically attached to the to the to the projector that feeds the the second screen and this laptop is acting as a regular participant in the room so it gets all notifications about remote presenters that are contributing their own media so whenever that happens it subscribes to it via Janus pretty much as remote participants do and so anytime that somebody starts presenting their video is intercepted and it gets displayed over these 
this or this laptop and we can choose whether or not to make this video full screen or not using some remote controls which makes for a for a fun cool effect when there are let's say two or three remote participants interacting with each other and so you can display uh, one or the other in, in full screen anytime anytime that you want which is kind of cool and the effect is pretty much like this so the picture may be a bit dark because it's um, uh, it's basically uh, the, the room was dark at the time but you can see uh, in this case, there is a local presenter that was talking of some slides, and you can see in, in the distance there is a second screen that is showing some content, in this case the virtual queue. And the small uh, screen that you see in the foreground is actually this devoted laptop that we have just for this. So this is the laptop that is implementing the uh, whatever is being displayed on the second screen. So right now it is only showing the virtual queue that I'll explain in a moment. In this uh, updated slides, instead, you can see that there was a remote presenter here instead. And so uh, there was a remote presenter we put her full screen and then she was actually displayed in the on the second screen on there, which means that all the participants in the venue could actually see uh, the presenter in full screen and so could actually interact with her in a more meaningful way. And I was mentioning the virtual queue because this is actually kind of an interesting thing that we had with support for because, uh, of course, uh, the ITF is a really dynamic place where uh, questions happen uh, all the time because it's really not just presenting your work, it's actually uh, trying to, to get feedback in order to uh, to work and imp to, to continue working and improving existing documents and so on. And so uh, uh, a lab interaction is actually fostered as much as possible. And so typically the interaction happens mostly uh, at the MIC clients in the local venue, but often there are people that cannot make it to the venue that have things that they want to say, they have things that they want to ask and so on. And so in order to make this possible and in order to make this moderated as well, we implemented what we call the virtual queue, which is basically a different, um, a different MIC client that is only handled for the remote participants. And so the idea is that remote attendees can also make their own questions, either via Jabber in a regular way and then somebody relays them at the microphone for them, or let's say getting in the virtual queue as the image that you see over here. And then uh, anytime that the chair decides that they, they can speak, they then, then just press uh, what we call the big red button, which is then basically a small hardware uh, button that is basically this nice gadget you see here that you can basically push and then uh, it basically updates all the virtual queue that we implement in the backend so that uh, it basically grants the floor to the next person in queue basically. And for instance in the in, in the picture that you see here, uh, this presenter for instance was accepted by the queue uh, for the queue using that, that button itself. And uh, so going uh, I'll go back to the queue in a minute when I'll show you some, some examples, some pictures or things like this. But uh, in principle of course something that we wanted to also address as soon as we got uh, everything working as he wanted was also to try and make troubleshooting as easy as possible. Because, of course, you know that WebRTC is cool, but it doesn't always work as, as expected in, in some scenarios. So there may be things that, that go wrong for, for several different reasons, which is kind of a problem when they happen during the session itself, because uh, sometimes you have sessions that are really short, let's say just a hour long, and then you have remote presenters that want to speak or, or just make questions. If you spend a lot of time just troubleshooting what is happening there, you may end up taking the whole time and disrupt the meeting, which is something that you do not want to do. And so we worked on, a, basically on a self-test application that we encourage all 
people that want to participate remotely at the IDITF to use, which is basically as an application that you use in advance from wherever you want to participate from. You you do the test; it does a lot of uh, a series of things that you can that you can check and so on. And at the end, it gives you a report that tells you whether or not the current setup that you are using, the current network that you are using, whether or not it's actually fit for remote participation. So that actually it should actually help solve all the issues in advance. So that whenever you actually end up presenting, you know whether or not you are going to succeed. Or and uh, since since Chicago actually made this self test available on a permanent basis, so if you head up on that link over there, you, you will actually be able to to take the self test uh, the self test yourself. And just to give you an idea of how it looks like, it's basically uh, unsurprisingly enough, it also uses Janus because uh, it tries to use exactly the same backend and the same features that uh, that you'll end up using uh, when presenting uh, and actually presenting. And one of the things it does, it does a series of connectivity checks trying to use on a, on, a, on a, an incremental step different tests by either using just TAN or they're using just turn and so on and so forth so that it tries to check whether or not any of those allows you to, to get a working nice connectivity in the first place and to do that it uses the echo test plugin in the back end so that it can also check whether or not it is able to send and receive media at the same time without actually generating any content because you are actually the person generating the content in the first place and then in order to get a more uh, objective but also subjective kind of uh, feeling you can also use the record and play test that that follows uh, after that which is we we try recording your own uh, your own uh, you try, we ask you we ask you to record a message for about 20 seconds and so on and while we're recording you we also pop up a couple of uh, down uh, of, of downlink streams at the same time which basically tend to simulate the presence of the same streams which should happen they actually happen during the session itself because I was mentioning that uh, when you are in the ITF session, you always get a, a slide feed and a camera feed. So we simulate exactly that. So we simulate some concurrent streams in the, uh, at the same time. So that after that, after you recorded your message and, and you replay it, you can have an, an objective feel of how actually people would perceive you. So you can see if you freeze a lot, you can see if audio was bad and so on. And so if you notice some problems, uh, for instance, a microphone is too low, the light is not good enough and so on, you can try uh, and adjust these a bit so that uh, the, the end result is as good as possible and as i was saying at the end then we collect some uh, some results so that uh, if some something went wrong you can send those results to us uh, so that we can evaluate them and then provide some suggestions so maybe try and, and resolve them before the meeting takes place and the following slides are just a few images of of how it all looks like uh, during the meetings itself. And so this is just a general view of how the, the, the Miteco application looks at the ITF. So you can see the Jabber room on the left. So this is where you can actually interact with all the other participants on Jabber at the ITF. And this is actually attached to the actual Jabber room for the ITF working group meeting, which means that even though you're not using Miteco, you can actually interact with, with the people that are there in both public and private messages, of course. Then we are, you have the slides, uh, the slides feed over there, which as I was Thing is a video feed that we get out of the capture card. You get the video from the local venue, and in this case, you also uh, we are also displaying a remote uh, remote speaker that, in this case, was Justin Abert getting making some questions at the RTC web session in Seoul. And of course, you can also, considering that these are all video streams, you can also play with the layouts a bit. In this case, for instance, I switched to to, to the meeting mode, which means that I hide the slides because uh, at the ITF it often happens that the discussion becomes more important than the slide. 
being projected uh, at that specific moment. So you can just uh, hide the slides for the time being and just focus on the discussion. So in this case, Jonathan Lennox and Justin Huberti were discussing something in the WebRTC session. The same layout also automatically adapts as soon as there are more participants uh, in the discussion. In this case, there were uh, there was a remote presenter, a remote uh, person making questions, and the, the mic line from the venue all interacting with each other in a seamless fashion. You can also zoom out, uh, zoom uh, all of these streams pretty much any time, any way you want. So in this case, for instance, we, are, we have zoomed the slides by hiding the, the jumper room because we are more interested in following the presentation. Uh, you can play with, with the layouts a bit so that you can still keep these slides in a smaller way, but just focus on the discussion, let's say, or, or any combination like this. And this is pretty much how it looks like when, when you actually participate remotely. So this is a picture that, that Brian Trump contributed in a blog post that he wrote recently. Uh, Brian is actually a very active contributor to the ITF who could not be there for, for the meeting in Chicago. And so he used Miteco to attend. And in this, in this picture, he showed he was actually uh, attending three different sessions at the same time using Miteco, which was probably driving him crazy because you could hear three different <laughs> sessions in your ears, which, which would drive me crazy. And I know it does because this is what I always do when I'm at the venue to make sure that audio works fine you know, in all of the sessions and so on. But if you are actually trying to follow all of these things and not just trying to debug things, it can actually be problematic. And this is instead how the, the, the queue looks like. So in this case, for instance, you can see uh, the virtual queue for a meeting which had a lot of remote participants, uh, about uh, 17, I guess, I'm not sure, 12. And in this case, for instance, you can see how there are two different remote participants that are contributing to the discussion. And the one that you see highlighted in green is the one that we were displaying full screen in the room. So this is actually the small page that we use as a control to actually choose which of the streams needs to be displayed in, in, full, uh, in full screen on, the, on that second screen that I was talking about before. And this instead is uh, probably the, 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 coolest, uh, the coolest image and the coolest application that we wrote for this because it really saved us a lot of trouble is the director room that we implement. Because as I was saying, in, at the ITF we have to cover eight sessions in parallel at the same time, which means that things can get really complicated when you want to control eight cameras at the same time and you want to monitor all eight sessions at the same time to, to make sure that there is any problem when you want to enable and disable selectivity some streams and so on. And it basically consumes exactly the same streams that remote attendees do. So it still goes through Janus, it still uses the same plugins and so on, but it just adds some additional knobs in order to, to control the, the streams, the camera and so on. And this is basically how it looks like when we are at the knob at the ITF. So we are, we are in a dedicated room together with the other uh, people responsible for the streaming service is the, the network services at the ITF. And we typically place, uh, as you can see, we have three different big monitors to, to put this all up in order to be able to control it in, a, in an effective way. I'm the one in the middle and I was, I'm also the one that takes care of all the jabber rooms at the same time. So we use the jabber rooms as a means to, to troubleshoot sessions. So anytime something problematic happens, so somebody complaining about audio, whether in the local venue or the remote venue, they just need to mention us, this rings a bell in my XMPP client, I check what's wrong and then we discuss and check whatever we need to do in order to fix this, which sometimes may end up meaning running towards the room as fast as possible and try to restart the streamer that died for some reason, things like this, uh, things like this. And all of the things that I mentioned so far are actually also recorded in the background. So all of the streams in particular are recorded during the session as elementary streams, so as separated streams that we tag and uh, add, and add metadata to that. So that uh, the easiest way that we have to replace those recordings is basically just use this metadata information that we collected in a web application so that you open the web application, this uses the metadata information in order to play the streams in a synchronized way so that the person that 
that joined remotely after 20 minutes only appear appears 20 minutes uh, after the, uh, the, the, the the recording started. Of course, you can seek it and go back and forth and so on. But we also use this metadata information to generate a single video out of this so that we compose all the audio and video streams in a single video file for each of the working groups. And this is something that we use in particular to stream all the working group session recordings to, to YouTube, which, which we now do for all the working group sessions that happen during, during the ITF, typically either during or shortly after the meeting ends. So if you, for instance, if you go right now to the, IT, to the official ITF uh, YouTube channel, you'll see that there are the recordings for all the sessions that we've recorded uh, at the ITF. Something that this, um, this uh, particular approach is missing with respect to this is that uh, the web app has also the Jabber Room recorded while the YouTube version does not, which means that we actually thought about mixing them a bit in order to also make it easier for us to, to avoid, uh, let's say, syncing too much stuff on the, on the client side. So what we, talk, well, what we thought about, and we'll start doing this for the next meeting in Prague, is to actually use these videos, so the mixed video for the video part, and use the Jumper Room recording in parallel to that in order to implement something like this, where you have basically the YouTube video embedded in a separate uh, web page and on the side, the Jabber Room that syncs to wherever you go seeking in the YouTube video record, which is something that we've been working on. It's already ready. We are basically just testing it, but in Prague, it will be definitely ready and it will be what we'll use for all the recordings from, from now on. And I'm almost at the end, so please <laughs> bear with me just for a little while. Um, I've also, I mentioned so far all the, the meetings that take place, the face-to-face -face meetings for the ITF, but there is also a different way that the ITF working groups meet um, during the year, which is uh, using the so-called interim meetings, which means that sometimes some working groups, uh, for some working groups, it's not enough to meet in person uh, three times a year. They sometimes, uh, possibly because some work needs uh, particular attention, they also meet additional times during the year, which can, which can happen either in a virtual way, pretty much as we are doing right now in a, in a conference, or in a physical way, which can be seen as a really tiny version of the official meeting. So the working group just goes uh, goes to some venue, they rent, uh, they rent some meeting space, and they meet pretty much as they would do at the ITF. And for both, you could actually follow the same approach and use Miteco the same way that you use it at the ITF. For the virtual interim meetings, because basically Miteco is a web conferencing platform and, and we do have all the tools that are needed in order to, to, to cover that requirement. So you do have audio, video, chat, screen sharing and things like this. And so it's definitely uh, something that you can use like that with the benefit that uh, you, you'd end up with the same kind of recordings that, that we generate for the local venue meetings as well. And for the physical interim meetings, it would be even much even easier because it would be pretty much the same Mythico IETF style application that we typically do. So attaching to the same uh, mixer board, using the camera, using the capture card and so on, and doing pretty much the same thing just on a lower scale. So things that can be done when uh, when we're asked for. And something that we you probably was uh, you probably were not aware of, there were also discussions recently about a, a completely virtual IETF meeting. So some a meeting pretty much as they happen three times a year. So all the 150 working groups that meet together, but completely virtual. And this was discussed as part of the many couches uh, working group effort. And they just recently agreed that it's probably not going to happen in the short time. Uh, but this, um, this is something that is uh, that has been discussed for several different reasons, uh, because there may be things that may cause something like this to happen. So think about a sudden emergency that causes a local venue to be unusable just shortly after, shortly before the meeting starts. 
there is no uh, time to actually move the meeting to some somewhere else and you, so you may end up needing something like this but the conclusion at the time and, and you can read something more in the second link that I wrote down below is that it's going to be highly unlikely even though they are going to still follow the, the development to, to check whether or not what the requirements are because of course especially in, in, in with respect to something like Miteco this would of course mean uh, scaling the application quite a lot because if right now we are just covering let's say five or six hundred remote RPs participants during the week making making the meeting completely virtual would mean also uh, handling a lot more users at the same time uh, for a lot more sessions and so on which would of course uh, require some some additional care of course it's not something that you can just improvise so um, just to, to say a few words on what we want to do next of course this is what WebRTC based so we want to keep the WebRTC implementation that we are using aligned which of course is made easier by the fact that this is all based on Jams. so as long as we keep Jams up to date it should still work uh, for, for our web application as well we want to be able to allow uh, Edge to, to join these sessions as well in the future and the only problem so far has been that all of the streams that we use in our uh, in our Mitico ATF application are BP8 based and Edge does not support BP8 as well as far as I know I think I read somewhere that they are planning to work on BP8 soon I don't know if it's already in there in some development branch or not but as soon as it will be uh, Edge will be supported as well because uh, Janus does support Edge or at least it did uh, in some tests that we did in the past so it should be possible so right now you can only use Chrome the, the usual suspects so Chrome, Firefox and Opera to join an ITF meeting in the future hopefully Edge will join and, and who knows maybe Safari too if it will eventually implement WebRTC as, they are, as, it, as it looks like they are doing of course we also want to improve the monitoring and troubleshooting tools because as I mentioned the self-test application really helped us a lot to improve, improve the efforts there and there are some other things like the event handlers stuff that we implemented in Janus that, that could allow us to also debug some sessions for just remote attendees so people that cannot get the streaming to work for them uh, and, and trying to understand more effectively why this is happening and so on and of course scaling as much as possible in order to allow more and more people to join and not be surprised when if it breaks because too many people try to join at the same time which is going to be a problem because as you may know there are, there is a big country that is preventing other countries to to, uh, to allow people in and so if uh, for instance we had a meeting in Chicago where a lot of people could not participate for, for obvious reasons and so we had a spike in remote participation just because of that so this is something that will need to be taken into account because there are, there are a lot of people that will not be able to participate in person not just because they cannot for, for business reasons but for other reasons as well so this needs to, to be considered and finally uh, just to give you uh, a date and maybe chat in person if you want uh, I'll be in Amsterdam for the Open Six Summits at the beginning of May if you want if you are there just make sure that, that you say hello I'll present something related to SIP I'll of course be in Berlin with all these gentlemen here for the Camaelio World just the week after that and of course we'll be at the next ITF in Prague which is going to be in July ITF 99 there are a couple of links that do not work yet because they do not exist yet the ITF 98 just ended and so those links do not exist yet but if you keep track of those and you just check them in a couple of months you'll see there you'll see there all the details to be able to participate remote at the ITF so I guess this is all I think I I took a bit more time than I that I thought I would but I'm, I'm open to any kind of question that you may have on this okay Lorenzo um, you'll want to switch back to your live view of yep. you we have uh, tons of questions and uh, there's a bunch of Dan Jenkins questions in IRC did anybody have questions before that you know you guys won't cheat so Jane 
James, do you have, did you have a question, or Andy? Yeah, I was just uh, just uh, curious. How many guys in total do you need to deploy to run those eight streams concurrently? Uh, the ITF, we typically go. Uh, it's four of us that go there. So it's me, Simon, uh, Tobias, and Alessandro, which is basically the core team of Mitech. So and it's uh, it's a tight team to handle eight session in parallel, especially when trouble occurs because sometimes you have to run from room to room to to handle things and so on. But we manage to handle all, all of the eight sessions at the same time with just these four people. And actually, sometimes we actually can also relax a bit because especially when things go smoothly, uh, that interface that I showed that allows you to control remote, remotely things and so on is actually quite easy to use. So as long as you pay attention, uh, you can actually take care of things. Uh, Brilliant. You know, I'd love to see a live demo of that uh, that interface. But, uh, while, yeah, we're talking, yeah. while we're talking about live demos and how they're probably not going to happen, Dan Jenkins joined and is going to be able to ask his own question. I think he was probably first, so he's got three or four of them. Dan, if you could unmute. Dan will be at Camelio World in Berlin, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see if we can hear you. I will be. We can hear you. Hi, Dan. So it's much better that you ask the questions because I didn't understand part of the first one, which had to do with static streams. Go for it. Uh, What was the first one? first one was about... Dan Dan Jenkins says, I'm interested in why they do static streams. Yeah. So um, the, the, um, the video stream and the slide stream um why do you why do you send them up as separate streams um rather than part of the, the web rtc stream that gets sent back down why not send it as one one stream and two video track um because i presume it's theoretically possible for those two streams to get out of sync with one another whereas if you sent them as one stream and two video tracks that would kind of alleviate. It's just a technical query. Yeah, no, in principle, it's because uh, at the moment in Janus, we do not support multi-stream. So in Janus, each peer connection can have at most one audio and one video stream and one data channel track as well. So we we cannot push two different video streams into a single peer connection at the moment. So, but in principle, it's uh, from the streaming side of view, from the venue side of things, it's much easier to just generate a stream using a tool like FFmpeg or something like this, because you can generate a stream continuously and detach it from the context of a session like you would do for instance by publishing a WebRTC stream directly instead of piping a plain RTP stream instead. So uh, the streaming plugin makes it just easier for us to just have a static mount point that is always there no matter no matter if there is actually something feeding it with data and so on. So it's just easier for us to handle them as two separate mount points that we can also selectively disable uh, from time to time because it all it sometimes happens for instance that the, the beamer in the room, the projector in the room dies for some reason or the, the chair desktop the, the chair laptop dies and so on you have no no slides but you still have the video coming from the room and so on handling them as separate streams make it, it makes it much easier to them handle them separately as well okay um do, do you have you ever had issues with like the, the two streams getting out of sync with one another no it didn't we didn't we never experienced something like this actually greatly enough i know but it seems like it's, it's it works uh, quite fine usually and i i guess i think my second question question was um, in terms of logistics um, obviously the IETF like is part of their venue selection now that there's there's a load of hoops that you have to go through um, I, I think I was reading one of the latest venue selection threads um, and it's it's a there's a lot of stuff in there now um, 
but in terms of for you do do you have to like have access i imagine like what did you say there's now eight concurrent um channels within the ietf meeting um and then so that's what 16 video streams going up um and when then, there are no remote participants otherwise there are and, and then you've got the participants as well so do you uh, I, I guess do you have like special you part of special networking stuff within so that you get better qos Etc. Yeah, no, actually, the uh, the network is something that there is a dedicated team at the ITF that actually builds the network from scratch at every ITF meeting. So they actually have they actually make agreements with uh, telcos in place and so on to to get a really powerful network in place at each venue. So anytime that we go there, we have a very effective network that we can rely upon. And for instance, in uh, in Chicago, it was Line Speed that took care of that. So and then all the volunteers in there as well. So they they really go there a week before or actually even even before that to actually set up uh, they actually replace completely the venue the venue's network so even if the hotel has its own network they replace it completely with their own stuff and so on so that it, it's actually always the ITF network which is really a, a really effective network and of course we have a dedicated media bulan just for uh, we have a dedicated bulan just for our own media stuff so that everything that we that we feed uh, in the background is does not suffer from interference from other things and so on but in principle we, we always can rely on a very good network for that which is of course very helpful to us cool then i think that was i think those were my only questions okay then i'll, I'll step in then then um given all of that um what were the constraints that you were uh defining for the video because when i was watching i noticed i was seeing you know about about 180 kilobits um on on a particular stream and the, the video looked it looked good good but it certainly wasn't hd or, or anything like that yeah no there there actually is a reason for that so we we didn't want to push the the video bitrate too high, mostly because we wanted to make sure that everybody could actually see the streams and, and not suffer from from let's say problems and so on. And mostly because, as I was saying, the 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 capture the capture card and the and the camera feed are both static feeds, so they cannot really react to the uh, to feedback that comes from viewers and so on. So if we push one megabit stream uh, one megabit stream for both of them and people cannot cope with them, then they are stuck with that because there is no way for us to basically adapt to their needs uh, with respect to that and so on. So it's easier to just, let's say, I think we used 200 kilobits for both of the streams, for both the slides and the, and the speaker feed. So it's easier to just lower the, the quality there and let's say make sure that as many people as possible can actually watch it. So it was just, let's say, a convenience choice. Not, in general, it, the, the end effect is, is good enough. So Sure, sure. I understand. So I, I have a, a, a comment and a question. So the, the comment is that it actually really works. I mean, I've, you know, I've used it several times. I've joined WebRTC meetings remotely and, and got my questions asked and answered and, you know, understood what was going on and maybe even stopped the wrong things happening occasionally. So it's like, you know, it actually does, it, it genuinely works. And I think it's great from that point of view. And But my question was, do you make any use of the data channel? Not at the moment, no, because uh, for the, all the signaling part is actually handled via XMPP also, not only for the Jabber room, but uh, the Miteco application is also based on <laughs> XMPP for all the other features that it implements. So anything that happens between, on the signaling level, happens on HTTP, basically, HTTP plus long polling. And at the moment, we don't use the data channel for anything in there. It might be a cool thing to add. We just need to find the, the good use case for it. Yeah, I'm just wondering because Edge doesn't support it. So you wouldn't be able to use Edge if 
you did, but you don't, so that's all right. Yeah, but we do use the data channels in uh, in some other applications that we have. So, for instance, we have a very simple uh, bridge application that we use for for internal and external meetings ourselves, for instance. And that's a mix of typically video room and text room plugin or audio room, audio bridge and text room plugin, where the text room plugin is is basically a chat plugin that we implemented that completely works over data channels, which is which is kind of a cool feature because then you can use WebRTC for for everything. So that's something that we use WebRTC for. But uh, with data channels for, but we do not use it in this context. Cool. Hey so guys, some... Simon, sorry for chiming in, but if you wanted a, a live demo, we set up a simple scenario. You might try and join us. I just copy pasted the URL on the chat. Yeah, and it's out. We have it. I was about to say that. However, uh, requires some kind of an authorization. Oh, you can just put inside the, the form a name, and then you check the. I want to log your yeah. registration ID, yeah. and that's it. You just have to also check the so-called uh, note well, which is mandatory for ITF participants. Yeah, because just to give some context, typically the uh, for uh, for attending at the ITF, you typically have to register whether you are a, a, okay. a local attendee or a remote attendee. So. So if you register as a remote attendee, you are returning a registration ID. So you can just provide that as part of the login form so that we basically can ensure that you are who you say you are, basically. And then the note well is always needed because you need, uh, every time that you participate in an ITF meeting, both locally and remotely, you have to ensure that you have read uh, the, the recommendations and the things that you need to be aware of to contribute at the ITF, which is something that we require as part of the process. Here I am. Yeah, I see, I see that you're all online now. So basically, that's the interface. And now there's no slide feed, indeed. So that's why you see this huge mythical slide that is there on the background. And what you can see is that the video feed is remotely controllable. I'm now controlling it. We can move the camera all around. We can pan, tilt, and zoom. We can, for example, try a zoom here. This is done with the remote monitor. So that's what we do basically when we, for example, point to the mic lines or when someone who is taller than the previous speaker just jumps to the mic. And we can control all audio feeds from here. Audio feeds means both the WebRTC feed and the RTSP and MP3 feed. Feeds. So audio means for our, for us three different things because we have the WebRTC audio feed which is embedded inside MeetEcho. Then we have the RTSP feed and also an MP3 audio stream which is actually replacing the the uh, former service that the ITF was offering to participants, which was the streaming of all uh, sessions uh, via MP3. And let's say that basically that's it. You have the the chat which is during the ITF meetings is actually the standard. Jabber chat. So you enter inside the ITF Jabber room associated with working group you're attending uh, in that moment, and you you have an integrated view of everything. Uh, you also have when people enable it. For example, if the chair wants to use it, they use Etherpad for taking minutes and notes, and we also embed that inside the interface. And then you also have a view of the virtual queue that Lorenzo was telling you about before. Uh, so with the icon that is uh, on the top uh, inside the graphical user interface, 
which shows the um, uh, participants, you, you might have a, a further icon which uh, shows you the, the virtual queue. So you can have an integrated view of the entire thing. And then you see the list of participants and you, ca you can have sidebars by chatting privately with, with some of the participants, which by the way is something that Lorenzo always does when he has to somehow help uh, some of the remote uh, speakers while uh, accessing the interface, using it correctly and feeling comfortable while doing the presentation. Yeah, and in fact, this is something that I always do to make sure that uh, I'm there to support them. And just another thing, Randy, if you notice uh, beyond, uh, below your name in the upper left, you'll see that there is a participant and an observer kind of thing. Right now, you're an observer, which means that you only are receiving streams, so you cannot contribute. If you switch to a participant mode, then you become a potentially active participant, which means that you're asked for the permission to, to stream your own stuff and so on, but you're not contributing anything yet. A hand icon just appeared. Yeah, it's a tiny hand with an arrow next to it. Uh, you can see it in the same, uh, on the left of the camera feed, there's a hand icon. Yeah, I need to um, get rid of ah, the hand icon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, so too tiny possible. So this way you can, yes. okay. you can join the queue. And this basically means that if you, uh, I don't see the, the queue icon, so possibly it was not added to this particular layout for this room, but uh, this means that the chair can, uh, if you wait for a chair to grant you the request, uh, so if you join the queue, then you would appear as the little Pac-Man ghost that, we sh uh, that we've shown in the in these slides, basically. So somebody can grant you the floor and as soon as this happens, which typically happens whenever the uh, whenever the chair hits the famous big red button, then uh, you are actually uh, allowed to contribute your own media to the room, and then you start contributing the, the feed. Okay, so, so I don't know if somebody, yeah, just let me check if somebody's controlling the remote queue because I don't. No, actually, Lorenzo, we did not configure the queue for this session because it was oh, okay, a, a dirt and quick hack done by Alessandro is in the in the office now. Okay, okay. Uh, but basically, yeah, the, the, the queue is there and. Is the thing that we use when we do need to moderate somehow uh, injection of audio and video feeds from the external world uh, because the other option uh, for you to in order to be active is just uh, using the speaker's role which is what we allow people to do when they have registered as remote presenters and in that case you are not moderated at all and by the way this also allows us to have multiple participants uh, in part parallel injecting streams into the Dimiteco room, which means, for example, that you might have an interaction between a remote speaker who is presenting remotely his own contribution to the ITF and a participant who is asking questions by uh, raising uh, her hand and, and trying to interact with, 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 with the remote uh, speaker. So we can somehow alternate and let people take turns. And this is something that is quite useful when you want to have both moderation and active participation by uh, enabled people. So is somebody so going to be able to uh, answer, answer my raised raised hand? 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 Actually, with the configuration that we set up right now, there is no moderator behind your... Okay. your no, I thought you hand. mentioned that yeah. somebody was maybe going to be able to... Okay. So no, no, no. I, I, thought like, I thought like this, but then considering that there is no uh, queue icon in the, okay. in the toolbar either, it means that there, there is no configuration for the queue. So 
So this is something that we cannot demonstrate now, but we can maybe demonstrate it some some another time. Maybe we'll send you an email. Well, uh, a couple of people have suggested that maybe sometime we should just do a VUC. We're game for anything. I'm gonna that would be great. <laughs> Whenever you want, just let us know. And okay. perhaps next time we are, we are going to do our own VUC with, with Miteco, but we did not want to, to play the, let's say, to, sh- to show off somehow. So Well, we thought about it, uh, but the, the problem with that is that we need to, we need to rehearse first, like any good show, right? Yeah, yeah sure. 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 Obviously, obviously. <laughs> but then we love, we love Hangouts. Nice, but it's dangerous. <laughs> we do love Hangouts, and we do love Google, yes, really. Well, <laughs> I mean, we did fairly extensive uh, testing and did a few lives with uh, with Jitsi, of course, but this is an entirely different... But we do love Jitsi as well. We love everybody, Randy. Uh, we all do, we all do. No, we're all friends, really. Um, well, that's the thing, and and there's there's room out there for all these different approaches because they're all slightly different. And, that's and you, you guys have done a, a fantastic yeah. job. Uh, just, you know, for those of us who would never have a hope of going to IETF, you know, Yeah, we're we blushing you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, while you're blushing, let me ask you this. Uh, is there a way to also send the stream to YouTube? If we yeah, were do, if we were going to do a VUC, uh, you know how that works. It's a streamer key. It's a server key that anyone, you just give the person the key or you you enter the key. There isn't a lot of username, password authorization. It's just a key and um, it, it just appears on our channel. Is that something that you can do? Yeah, not not at the at the moment because I mean, this would need, uh, this is something that we've worked, of course. So for instance, we, we have ways to combine all of the streams into a single stream in real time and then push this right. towards uh, an RTMP compliant uh, specification. But I mean, at the very the, the simplest way could also to, to just capture the, the screen from the the browser window and push that. I mean, this would be a very simple way and a simple way to, to do this quickly. But in general, yeah, we would need to do some work in order to actually uh, push all of these uh, in real time to YouTube from the server side, basically. Right, right. And uh, as far as that goes, either Michael or I could do that. Uh, I mentioned in passing that Jitsi did develop that and they do do that now. Actually, it was I think it kind of came from our own need. Um, and the only reason that matter is because YouTube, our VUC stuff goes on YouTube channel and it's automatically archived and recorded. So the same URL that you use that you can look at live is also the URL that's archived. It's very convenient and very nice to acquire any editing. Yeah, definitely it is. You're right. Yeah, but then it also acts as a, as a CDN you do not have to worry about. So it has a lot of advantages. Ex- exactly, exactly. And so that makes things a lot. But uh, it's exactly forget- the opposite of what they presently do, right? Because right now they have an RTP stream as a feed source and then distribute by WebRTC. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of you'd have the WebRTC engagement and RTP to offload it to whatever the other service is. The lovely thing about that is that once you once you can do it, it doesn't really matter whether it's YouTube or live stream or whomever. It's all similar. Yeah, that's right. And and by the way, uh, we've worked quite a lot on somehow designing and also I would say deploying scalable architectures exactly for that. And uh, Lorenzo might present for at least one more hour about our Solar project, which is exactly about this. So how to properly scale a, a streaming session by leveraging. Uh, virtual network functions in, uh, in, in the end. 
it's an interesting thing, but it's much more related to our, let's say, open sky research activities right now. Mm. Okay. Well, who else? Anybody else have any questions before we terminate this session and go to the mature audiences only? Well, not, not so much a question, but uh, an observation. I, what is impressive about this project is how it's continually evolved and got better year after year. And uh, like your hair. <laughs> No comment. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it, it has got as as good as Lorenzo's hair. There we are. <laughs> Uh, and where, where, and Simon, now that you've got your video back on. Uh, yeah, now my uh, network is working fine. I'm sorry for the disruptions that I provided to the start of the session, but I was getting crazy here. It has been, has been said that you've got a fine head of hair as well. And I'm just, there's, <laughs> there's a bit of hair envy going on here. You really are obsessed with hair at the moment, James. Well, well, I'm going to get you a wig or something, you know. Yeah. Simon accepted me for his, for the TFT's project just because I had long hair and yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so it's, it's a brilliant project, and who knows where it will be in two or three years' time. It just continues to get better and better and better. Absolutely yeah, yeah. brilliant. Which is, that, that's which is too exactly, what I, exactly what I was going to say as well, and ask it as a question. So there are clearly things that can be changed and improved, uh, um, as has been pointed out. Um, although it's very good at the moment, where are you going next? What's, what's where your priority? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, right now we are focusing a lot on the on the Janus project in principle, which is basically the the engine for everything that we do WebRTC related. So it also, of course, impacts the, the activities that we are doing at the ITF. And so we are working a lot on this, on adding on Janus to add new features to, to make it as stable as possible and so on. And something that we are also uh, starting to, to think about is some kind of a platform as a service kind of thing for uh, that is based on Janus itself. So it's based probably a big game, but this is something that we that we are thinking about, which, which could be possible with something like Janus uh, yeah, behind this. Yeah. Lorenzo, if I can add something, I, as I always like to say, uh, basically we, we have a, a let's say solid networking background. So we, we love the idea of thinking of ourselves as network engineers before thinking of ourselves as web developers. So uh, I would say that the, the strength of the entire Mitico and Janus project is resides in the fact that the architecture that is behind the components, the design, everything has been somehow uh, well thought before starting the engines. And that's why uh, Lorenzo was not going deep into the details, but for example, especially thanks to Alessandro, who is one of the members of the team, uh, we started uh, using containers when uh, just a few people were talking about containers. Now, for example, Docker is the buzzword, everybody uses it. But when we started to use it, almost anybody, almost there wasn't anybody who knew exactly how to leverage that technology. And we were somehow betting on that. Uh, it's something that really helped us a lot because we started virtualizing almost everything. And that's why now Lorenzo is saying that the platform as a service approach for Janus is quite straightforward. Actually, it's what we have been doing for the last two to three years with our consulting activities, for example. So we're not offering, as of yet, Janus and Mitico as uh, a, a pass service, but all of the people who have asked us to, to help them leverage Janus somehow, they were working on platform as service uh, services 
and approaches. So it's something that really proves helpful. And we do believe that we have the right tools in our hands and we're keeping on studying. That's the, the nice thing. So I think that we're improving the platform because we are still enjoying uh, life and we are enjoying the fact that we are researchers uh, and, and we like reading papers, writing papers and trying to keep in touch with people like you who do the, the cutting edge uh, developments in, in, in the internet world. That's it. So I think the only thing I would kind of encourage you to look at, and it's probably out of scope for the moment, is is some sort of um, decentralization. And if you build a, um, you know, if you build a Meet Echo or, or, or Jonas server, then, then you end up like you end up with this big thing that needs to sit in the middle. It needs a public IP address. It needs to be like sitting in hosting in a cloud service or whatever. And it doesn't really doesn't really spread out into little things. And I think that that you know. I know we're not there yet, but I like to think that we're getting back towards having stuff running at the edges and, and be interesting to see how you, you can adapt the architecture to, you know, meet that need. Look, you're, you're just you're just smashing down an open door. Okay. <laughs> just Excellent. do that. Yeah, because yeah, we've, it's we've been exactly doing yeah. the, the effort that Simon was mentioning before, this Olay kind of approach actually goes a bit in that direction, meaning that right now, of course, it's uh, we are using Janus instances that only very loosely interact with each other in order to to actually scale and do things that, that a single instance cannot do. But yeah, the being able to do this in a more, let's say, a meaningful way, so in a more tightly kind of kind of relation is something that, that we'd also love to do in the future. Yeah, but just to give you a further example, I, I also propose to, to use Janus and the WebRTC stuff that we do in order to improve what people call uh, hybrid in-network caching, for example. So moving caches close to the, the edges of the network and having them get in sync and we're, we're doing this also within the framework of a, a funded project that, that has been recently funded by the European Space Agency and it's always Janus there so it's exactly what you were were suggesting so thank you for the suggestion this, this means that <laughs> you <laughs> no so, no it's not too late I mean I, it's always a good thing to, to know that other people are having your uh, exactly the same ideas that we're having because you never know so are you using uh, using the data channel to communicate between the instances or not yet now you see there you go that's a, yeah. there's an idea <laughs> yeah and and I have to say that I keep on telling Lorenzo that we need to leverage the data channel much more than we're doing now it's there uh, in the beginning it was not inside Janus it, it has been added uh, quite straightforwardly and I do believe that we might do brilliant things with the data channel and I do know that you're one of the, the, the guys who, who share this view in some way yeah I mean the jumping sumo demo is still the, yeah. slide, the first slide I show pretty much everywhere yeah. so whenever <laughs> I talk about Janus examples yeah. so. well this is where we, we need to Re control it and have it jumping over Tim's back. Yeah, <laughs> jumping sumo. Yeah, un unfortunately, the jumping sumo now doesn't use use Meteco, doesn't use your, your stuff anymore. Um, and, uh, I was just happy that it did. So yeah, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> it was a really I mean, cool example at the time. I have, a, I have, a, I, actually, I have a slide which I, I I give, which basically says that that only worked because I'm old enough to have a slash twenty four rooted to my house. 
<laughs> and uh, and like you know, normal people behind that, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a perfect uh, moment to see if uh, Dan Jenkins can go live for two seconds and give us a preview when he comes back in two weeks. Dan, are you there? You may. Uh, he's taking his puppy for a walk. He was yeah, puppy he could, wrangling he last could, time. Yeah. I saw him. All right. Well, it's probably time to terminate because you know, damn it, this satellite time is really <laughs> so. <laughs> no, it's been great. Uh, Just allow us to to say a big thank you as usual for inviting us for keeping on inviting us we really love you guys and we were really happy when you you, you share your ideas and you ask us to share our ideas with you really the only the only uh sour note in all this simon is that you are not coming to berlin where you should but yeah that's a pity but you know uh lorenzo is is uh always doing the presentations on our behalf because he's the real master behind janus so he's this is his moment right now and i'm really happy about that and i do believe that he gives brilliant presentations so next time i will just join you and i want to to listen to lorenzo presentation live that's it but but he's well i've got an idea simon i think you ought to do a dangerous demo remotely yeah we'll do that <laughs> sure yeah that's an interesting point maybe we could talk about that in a f- later or in a few minutes or whatever and uh because we do a panel you know simon from we try to do it live from depending on how good the internet connection available is from uh, uh from berlin and if we do, maybe there's something we could work out. It won't be as sophisticated as what we do at IETF, but there may be something there, actually. Um, and since Michael cannot come to Berlin, we'll enlist him to do the, the scraping of the screen <laughs> over to YouTube. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. Really? Thank, thank you to everybody. Michael's quiet, so I'm going to get off now. <laughs> thank no, you. no. It's, it, I wouldn't do the screen scraping. We'll do it a different way, though. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll find a way. Again, so Dan Jenkins in two weeks. In one week, we're not sure. We'll probably just pontificate as we'd always do. Thanks, everybody, for participating. It's VUC.me, as you well know by now. And we will see you... Why am I reaching this danger? Uh, We'll see you in uh, seven days. See you, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Jens. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.